welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Father, we are thankful to gather as your people. Uh, We're thankful that you've given us a place to do this. We're thankful, Lord, that you've given us a spiritual family to be a part of, a, a physical, local manifestation of your body. And uh, we thank you for that, Lord. And as we come before your word and as we dig into your word, Lord, we do not want to hear the mere thoughts and imaginations of a man. We want to hear from you, the living God. And so we pray that as your word is taught, as, as I teach it, Lord, that it would be accurate to what you have here, that your spirit would so enliven it, Lord, to make it fruitful. We pray, Lord, for everyone in this room, whether they came in here knowing you or not, Lord, we pray that you would make their hearts good soil for the gospel, that the gospel seed would be planted deep within and grow up into eternal life. And we pray, Lord, as we come here, and we're so thankful to be welcomed into your presence as Kenny gave that call to worship, and then as we worship and and speak of you in song, Lord, we're well aware of our sin. We're well aware that we, we don't have a right to enter into your presence except by your Son, that we have sinned against you in things that we have not done and things that we have done. Lord, we have failed to to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We failed to love our neighbor as ourself. We are well aware of that as we enter into your presence. And we ask, Lord, that you would cleanse all of our sin, even sin from yesterday, even sin on the way, even sin in our hearts at this very moment, Lord. We pray that you'd forgive us because of Jesus. And then as your forgiven children, Lord, we pray that we'd be able to gather at your feet to hear what you have to say for us. We pray, Lord, that we would leave changed by your word. We pray that no one would leave this place without saying, I have surely met with the living God through the preaching of the word and through the ministry of all of your people. And we pray this thing that only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are. We're in a series on the Holy Spirit. My name is Eric Cobb. So thankful you're here, by the way. Um, We're in this series on the Holy Spirit that we've been looking at since uh, from Easter to Pentecost for seven weeks. We've been looking at how the Holy Spirit has made things better for us. So Jesus, before he left, he told his disciples that it was better for him to go away because if he went away, then he would be able to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, into uh, the disciples, into us, and that that would be a better state than what they had before. And so last several weeks, we've been looking at how the Holy Spirit makes things better. It makes things better through the new birth, how he's made things better through giving us the felt presence of God in a new way, how he's made things better by giving us the fruit of the Spirit, how he's made things better by making us a true spiritual body together. We looked in 1 Corinthians 12 a couple weeks ago. And then last week, Kenny was talking to us about how the Holy Spirit's made things better in giving us power for mission. This morning, though, we're going to look at spiritual gifts. And so just like Christina had read there, um, we're going to look at what are spiritual gifts. And there's a great definition of spiritual gifts in verse 7. Did you guys catch it? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's a perfect definition right there, succinct definition of what spiritual gifts are. Spiritual gifts are God blessing his people through one another. That's what it is. It's a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And one thing to recognize in the very beginning here is that the gifts of the Spirit are different than the fruit of the Spirit. As might get confused with that. A couple weeks ago, we talked about fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is God's, is, is Christ's character in you, that the Holy Spirit brings Christ's character in you. The fruit, the gifts of the Spirit are Christ's power through you. That's they're different, right? So the, the gifts of the Spirit are Christ's power through you. The fruit of the Spirit is Christ's character in you. God can give great gifts of the Spirit to people who have very little fruit of the Spirit. And we see that. We see people with great gifts, but very little character. That's kind of what was happening in Corinth, right? In the beginning of the letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, you're not lacking in any gift as you're waiting for the revelation of Jesus. And then in chapter 3, what uh, what does he say to him? He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but people of the flesh, infants in Christ. There is these people with these amazing gifts, and yet their character is hugely lacking. Let me ask you this. What's more important, the gifts of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit? Fruit, by far, right? Take a look at, flip over to um, chapter 13, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. He makes that case. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, spiritual gift, but have not love, I'm like a clanging gong and a noisy cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, another spiritual gift, and can understand all mysteries and have all knowledge and have all faith, 
Another spiritual gift. So I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything, that's a spiritual gift. Um, and deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I am nothing. Okay? And so the, the fruit of the Spirit is far more important than the gifts of the Spirit. And we have to remember this in the church because sometimes we can get wowed by people's gifts when there's no character there. Okay? And this happens a lot of times we think of that happening with preachers, but it can also happen with a lot of other gifts. Somebody could have amazing gifts of mercy, but no self-control. Somebody could have amazing gifts of knowledge, but no gentleness. You guys ever seen that one? Right? And the qualifications for leaders in the church, guys, are not mostly their gifts, but what? Their character. It's fruit of the Spirit. We must value that more than we value the gifts of the Spirit. Another thing to realize about the, the gifts of the Spirit is that they're not your superpower. Okay? A lot of times we think that as Christians, we're all given a superpower, and that's the gifts of the Spirit. In our culture, we often talk about gifted students. Gifted students is somebody that has some innate skill academically, and they can use it at will, and it's permanent in them. Spiritual gifts are not like that. Spiritual gifts are manifestations of God's power through you, like you're a conduit, like you're a pipe. These are not gifts you have. These are God's gifts coming out through you. It's very different. Um, we ought not to assume that they're permanent we, in us. We ought not to assume that they're automatic. We should never presume that we can use our gifts at will, but we should always be praying like I did this morning. Lord, please give me a gift for these people, right? This is God's manifestation through you. Spiritual gifts are God blessing others through you. Another thing about spiritual gifts is they are not your means of self-expression, Okay? Our culture is very big on this, that you build your own identity through your choices and accomplishments, right? You are, are who you are by what you've chosen and what you've accomplished. And if that's the case, then spiritual gifts are you expressing yourself in the church, right? But that's not what we have here, guys. Um, that was the Corinthian error. The biblical way of thinking about your identity is your identity is not based on your choices and accomplishments. Your identity is based on God's sovereign choice of you and Jesus' accomplishments for you. Okay, let me say that again, because that's super freeing and super important. Your identity is not based on your choices and accomplishments. Your identity is on God's sovereign choice of you and what Jesus has accomplished for you. That's what makes us who we are. And so spiritual gifts are not about your own self-expression in the church. They're about God's self-disclosure. When God gives gifts to the church through you, he's not saying something about you. Okay, He's saying something about himself through you. And that's super, super important to realize because a lot of us get real feisty about spiritual gifts because we think we're, we're being stifled from expressing ourselves, right? That's a cultural way of thinking about things. Spiritual gifts are about God's self-disclosure. And so how do we get these gifts? Well, here's how we got the gifts. God the Son became a man. He lives a perfect life in our place. He died for our sins. He's raised the third day. He's around for 40 days, showing that he was raised and he's alive physically, bodily, showing that the resurrection was true. He did that for 40 days. And then he ascends. Ten days later is Pentecost. And, and today's Pentecost Sunday. This is, you know, your roughly seven-week period after Easter. And on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in all of his people, giving them gifts. And Ephesians does this really cool thing in chapter 4 where he talks about it as if Jesus is this king who has won this great battle, this great victory, and he ascends up to his throne, and when he gets there, he showers down the spoils of war on his people. And that's the Spirit coming down and giving them gifts. And so before Jesus ascends, remember what he told them. He said, wait in Jerusalem. He said, wait until the giving of the Spirit. And so they waited for 10 days. This would be the worst 10 days to be a disciple, right? You don't have Jesus or the Spirit at this point, right? This bad 10-day period. So it's the first day. It's wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And then Pentecost comes, and then boom, the Holy Spirit comes in all his people, giving them gifts. Um, and, and the way that he does this is the Holy Spirit actually unites us to Christ so that Christ's power can flow through us. And I have a diagram. Hold on one sec. That's my fault. Sorry about that. Okay, here's the diagram. So, you've got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Okay? And then there's you. And then... What happens is when you get saved, when you came to Christ, is the Holy Spirit came to live within you, right? So he comes to live within you, and he's uniting you to Christ, right? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's dwelling in you. And what happens now is that spiritual gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are the power of Christ, come in through you and out to other people in the church, right? And what they're designed to do, so this is gifts, what they're designed to do is to have that person, what? Go like, wow, that's amazing. No, to look up here. 
and focus on Christ. You're like, oh, good. I knew it was about me. Nope, it's not. Still not about you. I'll let you know when it is. Um, So God gives spiritual gifts through all of his people. Every one of you has a spiritual gift. God is giving gifts of the Spirit through you if you're seeking him to do it. Okay? And verse 7 is a great picture of that. He says, to each is given. Listen to this. A manifestation of the Spirit. To each of you has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for each other person. And what's interesting is, it's interesting that the Father doesn't just send all the blessings you need straight to you directly. What does he do? He, he says, no, we're going to do it through all the other believers here. Why? Because as a good father, he would love for his kids to love each other and depend on each other. So he doesn't just like drop everything on you. Gives a little to you, a little to you, a little to you, so that we have to share in these things. And God blesses in this way, in a variety of ways. Take a look at verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all. Notice three words for the gifts there. Do you see them? Circle them. You got gifts, services, and activities. And if you don't have a Bible in front of you, like pull it up on your phone, because it's way more fun when you're looking at the Bible. And also notice in there that all three persons of the Trinity are present. Did you catch it? You have Spirit, you have Lord. Now in the New Testament, almost always Lord means Jesus in the New Testament. And you have God. Almost always God is referring to the Father. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit giving these activities and gifts um, through you and services out through you to others. And in the church, what happens is we're all united to, to Christ through the Holy Spirit, and so this person's given a gift to that one, and, and all of us, all around, that's the way the church was designed to be. And he does this through a variety. And I'm going to dig into the list of gifts here, but one thing I want to kind of put my cards on the table, and my cards are this. I don't believe there's any reason to see that any of these gifts have ceased, okay? And, and that's just where I'm at with studying the scriptures. I don't believe that any of these have ceased. Um, if you do, don't be alarmed. There are many people who I respect greatly that believe that they have. Um, people that I respect greatly that are alive and dead, some in this room, the live ones, um, that, that believe this. I mean, people throughout church history that I respect hugely, like all those reform guys throughout church history. I mean, lots of people, like right? alive too, many in this room. But they would see that some of these gifts are what they would call miraculous sign gifts, gifts that were given to prove the authority of the apostles, but then faded with the apostles when the scriptures were completed. And so they would see some of these gifts, tongues, uh, prophecy, some of these others, as having ceased. But I don't see any reason to pick and choose them like that. And I'll tell you a few reasons. First is, notice that all these spiritual gifts in this list are mixed together, right? They're all mixed together. You have um, gifts that we would normally maybe think of as sign gifts mixed with kind of more ordinary ones. Uh, you have, if you drop down to verse 27, you have helping right next to healing, right? A lot of people say, well, helping continues, healing doesn't. Well, they're right next to each other. Or in verse 27, you got administration and tongues right next to each other. Administration, you couldn't get a gift that seems more natural to people. And then you have tongues right next to each other. The same thing happens in Romans 12. They're all just kind of mixed in as if they're all just kind of in the same category, spiritual gifts. Also notice that all these spiritual gifts were operating in the lives of ordinary believers in Corinth. And we know that they were operating apart from the apostles. So these weren't signs of the apostles because normal people were doing it in the normal life of the Corinthian church. And we know that there were no apostles there because they were making a huge mess of it. You know, if Paul was there, there wouldn't be a mess, there wouldn't be a need for a letter. We also know that ordinary members of the Galatian church were practicing um, gifts like miracles. And we know that it's continued even past the first century. There's plenty of documentation that these gifts continued well past the first century. Also, the only passage that we have that talks about tongues and prophecy ceasing says when they will cease, and it says they'll cease at the second coming. Take a look again at chapter 13. He says in verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. Okay, so you're like, well, when? As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then what? Face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall fully know, even as I am fully known. Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest is love. So he's saying here that these gifts, some of these ones that we might call sign gifts or more more supernatural seeming gifts, that they will cease, but when? He says when the perfect comes. Or he says when we see God face to face. 
or when we're fully known. This is clearly talking about Jesus' return. And so it does say they'll cease, but they're going to continue on until Christ returns. Now, that doesn't rule out that gifts couldn't increase or decrease in intensity, okay? In different places and in different times that God could be doing more or less. We see that even throughout the Old Testament. We see like times of Elijah, it was like tons of things happening. And there were other times that seemed very low on on those kinds of manifestations of the Spirit. Um, Because, guys, the Holy Spirit is sovereign and he decides when certain gifts are given or not. Look at verse 11. He says, all these are empowered by the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually what? As he wills. Okay, so it's, it's up to the Holy Spirit. He's sovereign over when he gives them and what he gives and the intensity he gives. We should seek him, but he's, he's uh, sovereign over it. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, preacher of the 20th century, he, um, in his book, The Sovereign Spirit, he captured it this way. He says, we must not say that these gifts were only for the New Testament times, nor must we say that they have to always occur. The answer is, as he wills, talking about verse 7. As the Spirit wills, it is always right to seek the fullness of the Spirit. We are exhorted to do so. But the gifts of the Spirit are left in the hands of the Holy Spirit himself. And so what that will guard us from is two errors. One of them is quenching the Spirit, where we say, these things can never happen. I'm not open to these. But then on the other hand, it will save us from accepting anything. And we all know Christians that do that. They all accept any manifestation. If it sounds good, if it's exciting, then it's from the Holy Spirit. And Paul says in Thessalonians, he says, test Test these things and see if they're true. He says, don't just drink anything anyone hands you. Test it. Be sure. And, you know, there are certain branches of Christianity that they feel like all these gifts have to happen every time they gather. And when there's that kind of pressure for it to happen, guess what happens? They get made up. You fake them, you make them happen because they have to happen or we didn't have a real church service. You know what I mean? We have to, this is in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And so we should seek and we should test. We shouldn't despise, but we should test all things. And, and the Lord has given us guidelines to test these gifts to see if they're true. For example, you don't have to accept anything as a miracle or a gift of healing unless you actually saw it and could verify it. Okay? You don't have to believe things you saw on TV. Isn't that wonderful? right? You should probably not believe things you see on TV. This is a general rule, right? Um, You don't have to receive a gift of tongues unless it's interpreted and biblical. You don't have to believe a prophecy unless it's biblical and it comes true. And I'll talk more about this in a second. But what I want to do, guys, is go through this list of gifts with you. Now, when you look at this list of gifts, it's not exhaustive. It's not all that there are because they're mixed in throughout the New Testament. And they overlap a bit. You know, like, what's the difference between, you know, word of knowledge and, you know, word of wisdom and things like that. There's some overlap there, right? Um, let's start with this one. Word of wisdom, verse 8. Um, wisdom is the ability to live skillfully. You know, we look at the book of Proverbs and we see examples of words of wisdom. The Holy Spirit has given some of you guys an amazing ability to kind of clear away our confusion and help us to live skillfully, which is an awesome gift. I mean, I have a, a mentor, Jim, totally has this gift, and I will bring him what I think is like a rat's nest, you know, or like a mess of wires behind my TV. I don't know what connects to what, and I'll just be like, what do you think? And he'll be just like, well, this goes here, and that goes here, and there you go. And you're like, that's amazing, you know? It's an amazing gift of wisdom, and some of you have that, and we can bring our lives to you and get a clear path forward. That's a gift of the Spirit. Words of knowledge. Holy Spirit gives some believers exceptional words of knowledge. And knowledge of biblical truth, knowledge of where to find it, knowledge of how it all connects. Because, you know, biblical knowledge is not just like a pile of facts. It all has these neat interconnections, and this verse connects to that. People have the gift of knowledge, know how all these things connect. And it's such a blessing, guys, because the world is so full of lies and darkness to have somebody that can just show you truth and show it to you in a clear way. You know, even our own hearts deceive us. And a lot of times, guys, we lack confidence and peace and joy because we're missing some picture of truth. You know, we just don't know how something fits together. or We don't know something is true about the Lord or how he views us. And a person with this gift can just give you that missing piece of truth. And it's such a beautiful thing, guys. When this gift is operating, our church as we gather becomes an island of truth and clarity in a world of dark confusion. And people come in and they go like, oh, it's so clear here wow, I didn't know this was so straightforward, right? It's a gift of knowledge. Gift of faith. This one's a cool one, verse 9. He says, uh, gift of faith. This isn't saving faith because this is a gift that only some believers have. If you're a believer, you obviously have faith because you're a believer and faith is belief, (laughs) okay? But this is a gift of faith. This is a special surge of confidence in God that the Holy Spirit gives you. 
Do you guys want that? Would you like a surge of confidence in God by the Holy Spirit? That's what this gift is. And it's actually a great value to all the rest of us. It isn't just for you so you can be like, I'm good. Woo! Feeling good. Feeling like everything's going to be fine. Your gift is a gift for us, guys, because you guys realize anxiety is contagious. You realize that? If you're a leader, like, realize that. Your anxiety is contagious. But also, confidence in God is contagious, right? And what we have when we have people in our body that have the gift of faith is we have people that we can kind of um, draft off of their confidence in God, that they'll, they'll speak in a way that's contagiously confident in God. Like Moses did in Exodus 14. He said, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he'll work today. This is as they're at the Red Sea. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Like there's people that you'll, you'll share all your fear, and you go, like, nope, God's got this. Nope. You'd be like, but, but, nope, God's got this. Do you know people with that gift? You know what I want to do when I find people with that gift? I want to take my emotional life and tie it around that anchor. Be like, bring it here. I need to tie mine here. You know, that's what that's for. So share that if you have that. Um, gifts of healing, verse 9. Um, once again, this is something people doubt because they see crazy stuff on TV. Feel free to disbelieve anything on TV. This is not a gift for TV. This is a gift for the church, right? Gifts of healing. And when it occurs in the church, guys, it'll be obvious. We don't do these weird shows where you bring somebody you don't know and bring them up and their leg grows and they leave and you never check, you know? We're not doing that. You know Joe or you know Bob or you know these people that whether they got healed or not, it's going to be pretty obvious, right? And notice that it's gifts of healing. It's in the plural, which is interesting. Uh, gifts of healing. The gift is the healing. When somebody prays for you and God heals them, you received a gift of healing. And some people in the body seem to be more effective in praying for healing than others. This doesn't mean they could heal anybody they want. This just means that, you know, if I'm sick, I kind of know who to go to, you know, to get that kind of prayer. It doesn't mean they can heal anytime. Guys, there is no promise that he will heal you of all your diseases, no matter what anybody's told you. No matter how much faith you have, there is no promise that he will heal you of all your diseases. But God is sovereign. He does heal. He can heal. He does heal. We ask him to heal, okay? It's not as hard as you think, okay? God can heal. God does heal. We ask that he would heal. Don't promise anybody healing, okay? God hasn't promised that. But we ask in faith. So we don't just pray like, Lord, you know, please heal this person. And if you don't, it's fine. Make them happy with it. No. Okay. That part's important. Okay. Pray that they would have trust in God. But really pray. Like, we believe you can heal. Please heal. Keep praying for that person consistently to heal. People that do that have a gifting in that area. As a church, we pray for healing after the services. If you have, just like James 5, if you have something you need prayer for, we'll anoint you with oil and we'll pray for your healing. You know, it's not magic oil. It's just a symbol of God's presence. It's a little bit of oil. There's a guy, Marcel knows who. Um, there was a young guy who he, um, we were praying for him for healing. And um, I go, hey, we're going to anoint you with some oil. And he's all, hey, um, can I take off my jacket? I really like this jacket. And I'm like, dude, we're not going to pour oil over your head. Like, we're a mobile church. We only got little things of oil. So this is a little dab of oil. You know, your jacket will be fine. But um, when we've seen a lot of gifts of healing, I keep a list of it. Not everybody gets healed, but like there's been a lot of healing because we're praying for it and believing God to do it. Miracles, verse 10. Also one that people freak out about because of TV. Once again, feel free to disbelieve anybody on TV. You know, feel free to stop watching religious TV entirely. Um, feel free to get rid of your TV. I mean, you know, if that's getting in the way of this. But sometimes God gives gifts of miracles. When there seems like no earthly hope, no way that we can move forward, God acts in ordinary lives in response to prayer. And it's amazing when he does, and you guys could all tell stories about this, and you should afterwards to increase each other's faith. Um, tenth, uh, verse 10, prophecy. Spiritual gift of prophecy. Okay, this one freaks people out too. See, I'm doing all the ones that freak people out. The spiritual gift of prophecy is not the same as Old Testament prophecy. Okay, in um, 1 Corinthians 13, 9, he says, we prophesy in part, okay? There's no one alive today that has the kind of authority that the Old Testament prophets had, okay? And in the New Testament, the only people that had that authority were the apostles, okay? That kind of thus saith the Lord authority in the prophets in the Old Testament, in the apostles in the New Testament, there are no longer any apostles, because that was an office, you had to be like a witness to the resurrected Christ, and there were criteria nobody could meet. There's no apostles now. So where is that authority now? In here, okay? It's in the things that they've left. So you got Old Testament authority of the prophets, absolute authority, God's authority. 
apostles in the New Testament. Now we have it here. It's very convenient. We can all look at it. We can all compare it, right? And so the authority resides now in the New Testament. And guys, this book is sufficient, meaning it contains everything you must believe and do, okay? There's nothing that you need to believe or do outside of this book, okay? Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Call that the sufficiency of Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3, 17, it says that we, are, we can be made complete and equipped for every good work. So everything you have to believe or do is in here. So no random dude can come around and tell you to believe or do something else. You say, where is it in Scripture? It's like, no, no, I got a revelation. It's like, yeah, sorry, closed. Okay. So the true gift of spiritual prophecy will never contradict this, and it will never add doctrine or commands to this. That's super important. So what does it do? Wayne Grudem says that spiritual gift of prophecy is telling something God has spontaneously brought to mind. You say, okay, well, I don't get it. There's actually an example in 1 Corinthians 14. Take a look there. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 he shows what prophecy is like that still exists. He says, If all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, so that he falls on his face, and he will worship God, declaring that God is really among you. Okay? And I'll give you a more modern example. It's actually from the 1800s, but it's more modern than that, which is Charles Spurgeon. So Charles Spurgeon, famous Baptist preacher, the, of the 1800s, he regularly experienced the gift of prophecy. He didn't call it that, but I'll read it to you, and it sounds just like 1 Corinthians 14. In his autobiography, he, he told stories about how when he would preach, he would point in the general direction of people and call out their sins specifically in detail. Awkward. You're like, I hope that ceased, you know? Like, come ready, guys. <laughs> come ready. Um, he said this, he said, I could tell of many as a dozen cases in which I point to somebody in the hall without having the slightest knowledge of the person or any idea that what I said was right, except I believe that the Holy Spirit was telling me to say it. And so striking had been my description that persons went away saying to their friends, come and see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Beyond a doubt, he must have been sent of God to my soul or else he would not have described me so exactly. And not only this, I've known many instances in which the thoughts of men have been revealed from the pulpit. I have sometimes seen persons nudging their neighbors with their elbow because they had gotten a smart hit. And I've heard them to say as they left, the preacher told us just what we said to one another when we walked in the door. The trip, right? Another example, um, there was a guy in our church years ago, he's not in our church now, but there was a guy in our church years ago that he was dealing with this intense um, sexual temptation towards another member, and he was actually getting closer and closer to like actually acting on that temptation, and, um, and a friend of his had a dream about those two, you know, engaged in it, okay? And he came to him and he goes, I had this dream, sorry, it's kind of offensive, you know, I'm just going to tell you, and you just, I don't know if it means anything to you. The guy was floored. You know, his heart was disclosed. He was like, actually, I've been totally tempted in that way for, for, for weeks and months, and I was actually starting to even act on that temptation. And it was amazing because he just burned the bridge, right? He repented of that. It wasn't a temptation again because God had exposed it, right? Just like 1 Corinthians 14, the secrets of his heart were exposed, I got a friend actually who's here this morning that part of his testimony is that a pastor, when he was talking with him before he was really following the Lord, he, 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 uh, he described the guy's sin and even named the date it happened on. I mean, these are things that happen. Now, notice in all three of those examples that there's no contradiction to Scripture, right? All three of those examples. There's no new doctrine to believe, right? And there's no new command, right? All those things just expose the heart of people so that they would follow something they already knew to do in the scripture. And so, and we can also see from all those that there's clearly from the Lord. I mean, if somebody says, hey, the Lord's telling me you need to marry so-and-so, or you need to move here, or you need to do that, and all that stuff, you don't have to do it, okay? There's no commands, guys, that God's going to give outside of scripture that you must obey, Okay? But he does sometimes use prophecy to expose the heart. And guys, that, we could use more of that, couldn't we? I mean, that's a gift that in those three instances and in Spurgeon's 12, like, that was something that God had used to break down hardened hearts by disclosing the heart. So this is a great thing. We don't have to fear it. We should pray for it. Paul says we should seek it. Um, if you are seeking it, don't be declarative. Don't be like, thus saith the Lord, God told me this. Don't say any of that. Just say, hey, I'm thinking this. I'm feeling this. Does this mean anything to you? 
If it's from the Lord, they will be like, no way. How did you know that, right? It's going to be so obvious that it's from the Lord. Uh, Distinguishing of spirits, verse uh, 10. Um, Distinguishing of spirits. This one's important because our culture tends to think that everything that's spiritual is good, right? Spiritual is synonymous with good in our culture. Guys, is everything spiritual good? No. Just like everything that's natural isn't good, right? I mean, hemlock is natural, right? It will kill you, right? Things that are spiritual are not necessarily good. Many of them are deadly. The gift of distinguishing of spirits is the ability to tell the good from the evil. And, and this gift is super important because it helps alert others to the, in the body against spiritual danger and to pray against unseen spiritual attacks. That people with this gift remind us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We don't always think that way, right? We just think, like, my wife's irritating me, or my kids are irritating me. And, like, people like this are like, dude, you're under attack. Don't you realize you're under attack? You're like, yeah, I guess I am, you know? And it, it changes things, right? You can pray against that. Not that your wife is, you know, an attack from the enemy or anything. I'm not saying that. Um, tongues and interpretation of tongues. This is another one that people are disturbed by. It seems weird. Seems like maybe it's only for like kind of wild, irrational types. But what's really interesting is that Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 14, 18. This is Paul. He said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Is that weird to you? The theologian that wrote the book of Romans spoke in tongues more than the Corinthians. Is that like kind of mind warping to you? Because in our culture, we think about people that speak in tongues and stuff like that. We think of the, they're the kind of the Bible light folks and kind of hyper emotional and stuff. Paul said he did it more than the Corinthians. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, this, uh, this gift, this gift of tongues, literally means languages. And let's try a little experiment. I'm going to call it the gift of languages. Because it might be that the, la, 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 the tongue part is freaking you out, okay? Let me call it the gift of languages and just see if it sounds different, okay? I'm not trying to trick you because I told you what I'm doing. Um, the gift of languages is when God gives a believer words in a language that he doesn't understand that another believer is able to interpret. And there's differences on, are they known languages? Are they angelic languages? I'm not going to get into that right now. But it's a language the believer doesn't understand. He says it, and another believer can interpret it. And when it's interpreted, we know from 1 Corinthians 14, that they will be words of prayer and praise. So it appears what it is, is it's prayer or praise, stirred up by the Spirit, spoken out in a language the person doesn't get, but somebody else can interpret it. So it's, maybe that makes it less freaky to you. But um, we're told not to despise it. We, there are rules for it. Um, it shouldn't be practiced in public unless there's somebody to interpret it. He's very clear on this. It's amazing how clear this verse is and how little it's practiced. 1 Corinthians 14, 28. If there, is one to, if there is no one to interpret, let them keep silent in the church or speak to himself or to God. And so if there's nobody to interpret, you can do it in your own private prayer, things like that. That can be very encouraging to people. But the spiritual gifts are God blessing other people through you there's no one to interpret, it's not a blessing, right? So that's one thing to think about with your gift. If you're like, I got this gift and nobody wants to receive it, and nobody lets me use my gift and stuff. If nobody's receiving it as a gift, then it's not a gift. If every time you're using your gift, you're offending people and hurting them and stuff like that, guess what? That ain't no gift, right? That's not a gift. Gifts are things we like, okay? Believers should like it coming out of you, and they should be able to understand it, and that's why it needs to be interpreted. And if it's interpreted, it'd be encouraging. Drop down to verse 28. We got the gift of helping, okay? Some of you guys are relieved. We've moved to the gift of helping. Gift of helping. Gift of helping or mercy is when God empowers his people to render practical assistance to each other. The cool thing about the gift of helping is the gift of helping is also a gift of seeing. Because you come into a room like this, and if you've got the gift of helping, you see like, oh man, I can see so many needs right here. I see it on their faces. I see it in the way they're talking. You know, let me ask some questions. Let me dig. Person with a gift of helping sees needs. Person that doesn't have the gift goes like, man, I don't know about church. Everybody just acts like they got it all together. And I'm like, are you serious? I know of like three dozen people that barely got here. You know, like how can you say they have it all together? It's, they don't see, right? But a person with the gift of helping or the gift of mercy has an ability to, to see the needs. And then the Holy Spirit makes them want to meet the need and then causes them to like swoop in really effectively and take care of it. 
you know, and these people can be very effective, and it's amazing, because, you know, I might be immobilizing some sort of suffering, not sure how to go on, I didn't even know you knew about this, and you swooped in, and you made everything right, it's a gift of helping, it's a gift of mercy, a gift of administration, some of you guys are really relieved now, we're on the gift of administration, you're like, I can get behind that, some of you guys think of the gift of administration, you don't think of it as supernatural, you don't think of it as, like, miraculous, but I'll tell you what, you will miss it when it's gone, Okay? Some people are like, I don't like organized religion. Well, you're going to really hate disorganized religion, right? <laughs> like, without the gift of administration, this doesn't happen, guys. When, when there's no gift of administration, people fall through the cracks, and they get hurt, and they get left out, and they fail to operate in their gifts. But what's cool is with people with the gift of administration, they make sure that everybody's informed and included and involved, and we can move forward as one organism, like I talked about a couple weeks ago, the living body of Christ. And that takes people that like, organize this thing and administer, right? Um, gift of teaching, verse 29. That's what I'm doing right now. It might take a while. The spiritual gift of teaching is the Holy Spirit working through his people to unpack and apply the scriptures. And you guys are very familiar with that, but it's helping people to understand who God is and what he's doing and how to live out his commands by the power of the Spirit. And guys, churches in our circle, kind of reformist type churches, love the gift of teaching. In fact, it can be the only gift, right, that's important, you know, and churches can become kind of preaching stations, right? Um, guys, if you're coming only to receive the gift of teaching, you aren't actually even experiencing the church as you should. Because 1 Corinthians says that the church is many members, many gifts, right? The Holy Spirit manifests Christ through a whole range of gifts, right? Through, through all these people. The, the, the role of teaching is to feed that and direct it and support it so that a whole church of ministers can use their gifts. So if that's not happening, or if you're not around to be a part of that, then you're not really experiencing the church, right? And um, the, Re the Reform, you know, kind of movement, the Reform theology, it recovered something really important, which is the importance of preaching. You guys realize that before the Reformation, there were no pews, there were no chairs. Why? Because you didn't stay in there very long because there was no sermon, okay? So you come in, there's something very brief given you, you take the Lord's Supper, you leave, right? The Reformation, it was like, we're going to need some pews, you're going to need to sit down, we're going to talk a while, Right? Tons and tons of teaching, which is important. But you know, one other thing that the Reformation brought along was the priesthood of all believers, guys. Super important also that every believer has gifts, every believer has a ministry. And that was something that was also rediscovered then. Because the church had fallen into kind of an old covenant way of thinking. You had the priests and you had the people. And the people weren't really supposed to do a whole lot except just give money and, and, and make sure that the priesthood could continue. But after the Reformation, we realize the gift of the priesthood of all believers and every single one of you has a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Um, uh, there are other gifts, like in, in chapter, um, in Romans 12, you've got encouragement. Listen to this description of encouragement from Isaiah. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word those who are weary. Isn't that awesome? That's the gift of encouragement. You know how to sustain with a word those who are weary. So you come in here weary and beat up and only half alive, you know, and then you leave with a bounce. What is that? You probably interacted with somebody here that had the gift of encouragement, that knew exactly how to sustain you with life-giving words. Another one in Romans 12 is, is giving or generosity. Um, the gift of giving is the ability that the Holy Spirit gives us to free us from attachment to our things and be willing to give them to meet actual needs. And we see that in the beginning of the church really powerfully in a guy like Barnabas. You know, Barnabas had the gift of giving. He sold everything he had, put it before the apostles because there were people with actual needs. And you remember Ananias and Sapphira? They tried to fake the gift of giving, right? They didn't have it, you know, but, but Barnabas did. Guys, imagine what it would be like. Imagine what it would be like if every time we gathered whether it's here or throughout the week, imagine if every one of you spirit-indwelt people came together wanting to give a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Imagine how that transforms things. And you guys do do it, but, but just like Paul says, we should excel still more, right? Imagine if every single believer did that. Imagine if you woke up every Sunday morning believing that to you has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Isn't that amazing to think about? We come together not to receive the gifts of one person or two people, but to contribute to like a, uh, a spiritual potluck of manifestations of the Spirit, right? That we all brought something. 
And that something isn't from within us. We had prayed, we'd sought the Lord, and when we came, we had a manifestation that the Spirit actually worked through us, that we viewed church, that we viewed coming together every time, a Sunday morning or midweek or whatever, as a potluck, right? of the manifestations of the Spirit. And so you'd have somebody come in, and he's got wise counsel, and he's helping others to take their chaotic life and put it in order. And you got other people that are coming, and they're dropping biblical knowledge all over the place, putting little lights of truth all over, so we're this kind of island of truth. And then you got another person that's like infecting us with his surge of confidence in God. You know, we come in kind of with doubts and, and, and discouragements, and, and they're so passionately believing God that we're like, okay, I could kind of draft off that, you know. Uh, and then we got other people that are coming, and they're, they're trusting and praying that God would give you a healing or a miracle in your life, that God would work in some way in your life that, that, that no one else could, and that they keep on praying and they keep on trusting God for something to happen in your life. And you got other people that roll up, and somehow they had a secret of my heart, you know, by the, by the Spirit, super uncomfortable, and they hum, humbly give that, and that convicts me and encourages me. Or you've got other people that kind of like the spiritual immune system, you know, and they got discernment of spirits, and they're realizing, like, hey, I think we're under attack here. Let's pray about this, right? And, and, and protecting us that way. And you got some people that if there's an interpreter, they're sharing prayer and praise that, that, that goes to God through the Spirit. And there's other people that, like, see burdens that no one else sees, and they're seeing needs, and they're swooping in to take care of them by the power of the Spirit. You got other people that are organizing it, the whole thing, so we're not just like a big jumbled mess. And you got people teaching, and you got people encouraging and refreshing the saints, and you got others coming, and they're ready to give anything to anyone that has a need. How's it sound? It sounds amazing, right? It just sounds totally amazing. That's what God has for us in this passage. A, a place where you would invite people not just to say, oh, come and hear my pastors preach, but you would say, come and see the body of Christ. Come and meet Jesus and his people. So that's what we want to do. Okay? That's what we want to do. And when we do, people will come into that and they'll say, surely God's among you. Right? And you guys know why this is so attractive? All these gifts are so attractive. Do you know why? Because all of these gifts are ultimately glimpses of Jesus. Every one of these gifts. Remember I told you it's the power of Jesus through the Spirit out through you to others. Right? Every one of these is a glimpse of Jesus whose whole life was a spiritual gift. You think about Jesus' wisdom? Did Jesus have wisdom? about his wisdom and the things that he said, his knowledge, his faith. I mean, that surge of confidence we sometimes get, that's how Jesus was all the time. Walked around with a surge of confidence in God like that. And then we're getting a little taste of that through the gifts. What about healing? Healing people all the time. Miracles. Prophecy. Was anyone's heart safe around Jesus? No. You couldn't lock that thing down. Not safe around Jesus. Secrets disclosed. Distinguishing of spirits. I mean, Jesus always knew what was behind everything, right? The, the spiritual powers behind it. Gift of tongues? Well, there's no record of Jesus speaking in other languages. But there is a record in Luke and other places of the Holy Spirit filling him so that he would praise and pray to the Father. Um, gift of administration, you think about how Jesus cared for his disciples, and made sure that they were included and involved and valued. Think about his teaching. You know, the Pharisees and other people, like, no one's ever taught like this man, right? No one's ever taught with this kind of authority. Or encouragement. You think, like, if you're around Jesus, there is no way to be discouraged. But what really stands out in Jesus' life, guys, is his gift of mercy and giving. And that gift was seen not just in his life, guys, but in his death. Jesus' gift of mercy. In Jesus' gift of mercy, we see God the Son look down from heaven, from his throne in heaven, and he saw our great need and he came down and rescued us. We who have sinned against God, and we've sinned against God in many ways. We've sinned against God in what we've done. We can remember those things. They're very easy. They come to our minds right now. And we've sinned against God in, in the things that we haven't done, right? We look at Jesus' life, as Kenny was talking about last week. That beautiful life exposes our sin. It shows us what kind of life we should have lived. And it's a life, a beautiful life, that he now credits to us. You just realize that he lived your life over again the way it should have been lived. And if you'll trust in him today, he removes your sin and he credits you with that life. When you're, you know, when God thinks of you, he thinks of that beautiful life of Jesus if you trust in him. Because guys, we had a sin debt. We had a sin debt we couldn't pay. Sin is a debt. We can't pay it. Hell is forever because it's an unpayable debt. People are like, why is it forever? It's like, well, how are you going to pay it off? There's no payment for sin. 
except for Jesus. He came, and in the gift of giving, he became a man. He lived our life. He took our place. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich. You think about him on his throne with all power. Yet for your sake he became poor, that by his poverty you might become rich. So Jesus' riches of righteousness were given to you, and your debt of sin was given to him. And then Jesus was raised, he was ascended, he sent his spirit. And now every time we gather, the spirit is making that beautiful life evident throughout his people, his body. Now we can either have that, or we can have the consumeristic theater version of church that you've been sold. We have to make our choice. And we actually have to make this choice every week, every day. Right? We can decide, do we want kind of the theater, consumeristic view of church where we, we enjoy one or two Pearson's gifts, or do we want this picture of the church that he's given us? And I know we want this, and how do we have it? We've got to live together. We've got to actually be in our, each other's lives. We have to gather together. We have to do mission together because each one of you has a picture of who Christ is, and that picture only comes together for all together. To each has been given a manifestation of the Spirit. You know, if you're missing, that piece is missing, right? All the pieces are important. As we gather, as we go out on mission, we want to manifest Christ through the Spirit. We also need to gather, gather guys with anticipation. Some of us have forgotten. I forget often. Christianity is supernatural, okay? This is not just a list of doctrines, teachings, cerebral things. That tends to be my tendency. Christianity, I mean, you can't read the New Testament without really being confronted with the fact that this is a very supernatural thing, okay? And so we need to come, guys, with expectation, with anticipation that God is going to work through us. It's crazy to me when you read in the Corinthians, to the Corinthians, he was actually telling these guys, like, you need to tone it down, right? Because they were grandstanding and they weren't loving and things like that. And then look at us, you know, look at me. And how did we go from that to not believing we had gifts at all? It's a strange thing. I don't know if it's the cultural air we breathe or what, but guys, this is supernatural. Like every time we gather, we should be saying, Lord, give me a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul said this to the Romans. He said, I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may both be mutually encouraged. He not only wanted to give them something, but he was looking for something from them. And so pray like this. Pray, Father, give me a gift for these people this morning. I don't want to show up empty-handed. Father, help me to, to see the manifestations of the Spirit in other people. Help me not to gather in a way that, that puts off this a merely natural gathering. Help me to see spiritual gifts. Help me to bring something. Give me something to bring to a spiritual potluck. Okay? And then lastly, um, we need to believe this and we need to risk awkwardness. And I know we all need to hear this. We need to risk awkwardness. It turns out to practice any of these gifts including the one I'm doing right now, risks awkwardness. This is not comfortable, okay? If none of these gifts are really that comfortable. We're happy we did them later, but it's not comfortable, guys. We need to stop being consumers and be servants, and servants are willing to do the awkward, uncomfortable things, right? And so when the Spirit's kind of, you know, prompting you to do something, you need to follow that. Be awkward. It's okay. Uh, to gather as consumers, we say stuff like, oh, how was the service, Right? That's a consumeristic way of saying it. How was the service? The, the way of being a servant is, how can I serve? What opportunity did I have to serve? Where did I see manifestations of the Holy Spirit, right? And once again, you guys, you guys are good at this. I just think we could excel still more. And so don't take this as a beating. Um, and it turns out this is the path of fullness, guys. A lot of people, they wander from church to church because they're bored, right? They're bored and they're empty. And so they go to place to place hoping to get filled and entertained. And the reason why they're bored is because, like, this isn't a spectator sport. Like, the mission of God is actually really boring to watch if you're not involved. It's, what kind of sports are boring to watch? I have no sports genes, so I don't know. What's the most boring sport to watch? Okay, this is going to cause division. But I used to watch fishing, okay? I used to watch fishing, you know, some southern guy with bass fishing. It's like, yeah, hey, so we're going to adjust that jig down there and kind of give it a little, you know. And I loved watching that, but that's probably boring to watch. Guys, the mission of God is something that we participate in. We're only going to be bored as long as we're not involved. We need to be involved. We're going to put ourselves out there. And also, guys, if we're feeling empty, the Spirit fills those who pour themselves out. 
right? The Spirit loves to fill conduits, not cul-de-sacs. If you're a cul-de-sac, you can't really pour anything more in there. It's full, right? But to be a conduit, guys, and it's never comfortable to be a conduit of the Holy Spirit's gifts, even if they're administration or teaching or any of those things, right? And so risk being awkward, being in vulnerable situations, praying like crazy that God will come through. Let's pray. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would give each one of us a manifestation of your spirit for the people that are here, even before we leave, Lord. Whatever it would be, an encouraging word, a prayer, an act of mercy, an act of care, and then other things, you know, a, a word of your spirit that, that I couldn't have known, but you, you brought it to mind. Lord, we pray that you would be at work in us, and we pray even more that we would seek, seek your gifts. We seek the higher gifts, seek the gifts that are going to most edify your people. And Father, we thank you for um, your word and the way you fed us in it. And we pray, Lord, as we transition to the Lord's Supper, that you would feed us in that. That you fed us now with your holy food of your word. And now we pray that you'd feed us with the holy food and drink of the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you for the manifestation of the Spirit. Not just in the time we just had, but what we're about to experience and we experience whenever we gather. Thank you, Lord, that you would want to work through people such as us, sinners, people that have been in rebellion, people that have been selfish, people that have turned from you in so many ways, and that you desire to share your son through us. And we're just so thankful and in awe of that. And I thank you, Lord, for these people, these people who do love to manifest you. Thank you for a church that so willingly serves, so willingly looks out for others. Lord, it is a true evidence of your grace. I'm so thankful for them, so thankful for their, their love for you, their love for others, their love for those who don't know you. And we pray especially, Lord, too, uh, today for those who, who come here and they don't yet know you, Lord. We pray that you would draw near to them. We pray that they could leave knowing that they had met with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Lord's Supper is our weekly feeding on the presence and power of Christ. And so um, what we're going to do here is we're going to remember, we're going to remember Jesus' body. The bread symbolizes his broken body that was broken for us. And that bread reminds us that he came in a real feeling body, a body that felt real pain, a body just like yours. He came and he died in our place. And the cup, the cup reminds us of his shed blood, that he washes away every sin that we have. And so if you're trusting in Jesus as your Savior King, we ask that you come forward anytime during the next few songs. Take it back to your seat, either together or, or alone, and remember and be thankful for the body and blood of Christ. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.